Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, this this week, today, we are going to be jumping back into 1 Thessalonians. I bet you that is a surprise to many of you. You probably did not realize. If you are new here, this is your first Sunday. We have been in the book of Thessalonians for a few weeks. Not many weeks since about June 15th we started. So, uh, But uh, we are wrapping up this series, and we are in a series called Waiting for Our King. And where we get this series from is that just before... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which would be the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 4, Paul is making this argument and just reminding the people that Jesus is coming. And then he finishes off this book, which I believe is how do we wait for our king? What does it look like? What does our lives look like as we are waiting for Jesus' return? Two weeks ago, which I know you guys were all paying attention then, two weeks ago, we talked about rejoicing always. Where does rejoicing come from? Rejoicing does not come from circumstances. And I think a lot of people within our culture and with, in our world live by joy based off of circumstances in their life. Well, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, we recognize, and the Bible argues, is that joy or rejoicing comes from the knowledge of knowing Jesus and what he has done for us. That Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins. And regardless of life, of life circumstances, not to be making light of that, many of you have faced very difficult life circumstances, and there will be seasons of mourning and weeping, but we can have joy throughout all of it because we know who our king is. And I reminded us of that. Well, today we are going to continue on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you guys will please stand with me this morning, we are going to read a few verses, and then we're going to talk about one more verse today. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Sorry, in verse 16. And I might have messed up the slides today. It says, rejoice always. Verse 16, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all, circum- in, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, Father, come and speak to your church. Father, re- remind us today who you are. Remind us today, Lord, that we can come to you. That you listen to your children. Father, I praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So like two weeks ago, I focused on two words, rejoice, always. This week we are going to be talking about three words, praying without ceasing. Now, before we dive into that, I'd like to give you a little bit of cultural background. If you have not attended here previously, I enjoy the cultural background so that as we read God's Word, we need to always remember God's Word was spoken at a specific time to a specific people. Does it transcend all generations and all cultural groups? Absolutely. However, I do think it is good for us to just kind of recognize, hey, what was happening back then? What was going on back then? And here... When God's word says pray without ceasing, I want to just remind us once again about the culture 
of the Thessalonians. Paul was writing to a culture. He was writing to believers, but those believers were living in a culture. And that culture was very much a pagan culture. They worshipped many gods. Now, they worshipped the Greek gods of Zeus and all of the Greek gods at that time. So when Paul writes to them, and when Paul is saying, pray without ceasing, the very culture they were living in, the pagan culture, they believed in prayer too. You may not know this, but all religions of this entire world believe in prayer. There's not a religion out there that doesn't believe in some sort of prayer or meditation or some form of those lines. But as Paul is writing to them, he is writing to people that came from a culture that when they prayed, they were praying to the pagan gods. And there's actually a warning on this. Look at Matthew 6, 7, and I want to kind of give you a a quick cultural warning here. Jesus says, says this. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. That's the culture that was around Israel and around pretty much everywhere else except for God's people. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. People in the pagan world believe that they have to somehow, some way, by lots and lots of words, get their God's attention. Pagans are known for this. Jesus warns us on it, but also Paul is writing to a culture that had pagans within it. And they thought that when they would pray, that they would somehow have to keep talking and talking and babbling and hoping that somehow maybe their God would hear them. And I bring this up because it is important for us to understand their culture, the pagan cultures. They would, they would plead and they would beg that their gods would possibly hear them. That when they would pray, it was, they had, there was no confidence. They weren't sure if their pagan god was going to show up at the time when they, when they would pray. So that's why when Jesus says, do not pray how the how the pagans do, they would just babble on. They would just be saying, oh, God, please come, please come, Zeus, please show up. And it was nothing but babbling because they thought and they believed that if they said enough words at the right time, that their God, lowercase g, would somehow show up. And I bring this up because, because it is interesting at how the culture at the time did this. And there's actually a story, many of you might be might be thinking about a story out of 1 Kings by a man named Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I want us to turn to that story because this story illustrates this very, very clearly on how God's people pray and how the pagans pray and how the culture at the time would be praying. At this time, I'm going to give you, a, once again, a brief history lesson. I know you guys love history. In 1 Kings, Elijah is a prophet. Now, Israel was in not good circumstances. Many of the Israelites, God's people, had turned from worshiping the one true God, and they were starting to worship the pagan gods of the culture. You guys may not, may not know this, but if you would ever look at a map and you see Israel, right? Israel, the country has shrunk since the time of, 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 of God's people. But if you could just imagine looking at that map, there's Israel and every nation around Israel were pagans. Okay, They worshipped many gods. And one of their gods was the god of Baal. And 
Elijah is calling out these people. God's people had started to worship Baal, and he's saying, listen, this is not our God. So he comes up with a plan. He says, hey, I want to see whose God is real. Is, is the God of Baal real, or is the one true God of Israel real? So he goes to the pagan priests, to the priests or the prophets of Baal, and he says, listen, i got a challenge for you. Let's see whose God is real. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to get this fire pit going. We're going to get some wood, and we're going to take a bull. It would have been a very bloody circumstance because, you know, like sometimes when you read God's word, you don't really think about what is happening. But they slaughtered a bull, they chopped the bull up into pieces, and they set it on the altar. Okay? So I want you just to kind of, you know, we don't live like this, right? I mean, many of you were out deer hunting. You got a deer, and that's pretty much about it. But imagine chopping up an animal and setting it on to the altar. And Elijah says, I got a challenge. Let's see whose God shows up. And I want us to look at this story because it is interesting at how the pagans pray and how God's people pray. So if you have your Bibles, we are in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to read verse 26. This is how the pagans prayed. And they took the bull that was given to them. This is 1 Kings 18, 26. Took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, four to five hours. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. There was no answer. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Four to five hours, these pagans are praying. Oh, Baal, hear us. And they're dancing around this altar. And they're begging and they're pleading. Will our God show up? Look at verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. If you did not think that Christians were allowed to mock people, it's in the Bible. Okay, I want to just point that out real quick. If someone has ever called you out for mocking someone, say, hey, Elijah did it. No. At noon, Elijah mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's missing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Elijah starts to mock the prophets of Baal. Hey, maybe your God's... Uh, going bathroom here. Literally, that's what he says. Maybe your God's, uh, maybe he went on a journey. You know, maybe he just can't quite hear you enough. Maybe you need to talk a little louder and try to do a different dance. Well, it continues on. And the prophets start getting desperate. Look at verse 28, the next verse. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the, of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So you can just imagine this event taking place. That these pagans are crying out to their God all day long. They get so desperate, they start cutting themselves. They believe in their mind if they can sacrifice enough, if they can say the right words, if they can do enough, God shows up. Their God shows up. 
And they're just pleading and begging. And God, please show up. Lord, Lord, please, please just come. And they get so tired because they're dancing and putting on this whole show in the hopes that their God comes. Well, it's Elijah's turn. Look at verse 30. I want to read 30 through 38. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said this, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. So now they're pouring water onto this, onto this altar. And he did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So just picture this one. He just got done mocking all of the pagans, saying, come on, where is your God? So now, he, now it's his turn. He builds the altar for his God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, you know what? This isn't good enough. Let's get some water. And we all know that water, if you've ever started a campfire, water is like the essential item, right? Like you get the wettest wood possible and the fire is going to go. I mean, it's, it just makes sense, right? Obviously, you guys know that's not true. You need it to be dry. But he says, let's start pouring water on it. Look at verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Completely gone, right? Like completely consumed everything. Now, I'm not here to be arguing like, okay, like, what does this all mean here? What I'm doing is that I'm sharing this with you because you get a clear picture. The pagans and a man of God. How do they pray? Elijah, fully confident. My God's going to come because my God is the real God. My God is listening. My God has directed me. And it's, it's so interesting here that he has complete confidence in who God is. Right? Like complete confidence that that this is going to be happening. It's kind of like Noah in the book of, of uh, Genesis here. Noah's out there just building this ark, right? And he has complete confidence that God has called him to this. And he knows. God said there's water coming, there's water coming. There's no questioning. There's no like, well, God, maybe, sometimes, if, maybe, ands. And, and it's like, you see this stark con- contrast of the pagans are wishing God's people believe. Fully trust him. God, I believe you're going to be answering your people 
when they call. And I just think today, as I think about our culture, and as I think about churchgoers, when you go to pray, when we pray, do you really believe he's there? I mean, like to the core of who you are, whether you're praying at the dinner table or on your knees next to your bed, do you really believe that when you speak to him, he's going to be there? That he is there. I want to talk briefly about a word called deism. You might be wondering, Pastor, what is deism and why are you even going down this road? Deism uh, was a belief or a thought that really took place in the 1600s and 1700s. But this idea of deism has really rooted itself into our culture. You may not be aware of this. But as you read the history books, as you read how thought has progressed within Western civilization, deism has really made a trench in our world. You might be asking, well, what is deism? Deism is the idea that God exists, that God created everything, but then that God is virtually withdrew and refrained from interfering in the process of nature and the ways of man. Basically, a deist is somebody who would say, yes, I believe God is real. Yes, I believe God created everything. I believe I can look to this natural world and see that there is a God. But they believe that this God is real, but he's not involved. That he is not involved within mankind's world. He's there, he's real, I believe he's real, but he's not going to be active in our lives. And I bring this up because this thought is prevalent within the world. It has been going on for the last three, four hundred years. It has made its way into many areas of our world. And I think we just need to just kind of recognize this because there are believers, or I should say there are churchgoers, that have this thought. They may not word it like this, but this is how they live. Yeah, I believe God is real. But they have no confidence and no belief that God wants to be working on their behalf and is active in this world right now. They might sometimes think, well, he may want to work, but I'm telling you, this idea of deism is prevalent. It's prevalent within so many aspects and has infected God's church as well. That, that is why when people pray, they have no confidence. They're like, well, I, God, you might hear this prayer, or maybe. And it's like, that's that's that's... That's not the God of the Bible. That's not God's people. And I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up today, church, because I want you guys to leave here knowing who God is. Knowing that when you pray, when God's word says, pray without ceasing, you have full confidence that when you get on your knees and you pray that he is a God who is listening. Because I see so often, it's like people are like, wishful thinking. It's like, what is this? This is, not, this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible hears his people, listens to their prayers. He's attentive. And you might be thinking, well, I said a nice little prayer at dinner. And, and, but like when you, even when you are doing basic meal prayers, do you really know that God is listening? That he really hears his people? He's not a God that, that is far off. He is not a God that's like, well, I might be showing up. I might be there. He's a God that knows all things. He's in all places at all times. 
And do you and do I, do we have confidence in this? Because I think, I think a lot of people don't, and I think that is what is hindering people from actually praying without ceasing, is that deep down they are questioning whether or not God is really listening, that they're not really confident that the God of the Bible is really paying attention to them. That they're kind of like, oh, and they kind of just pray with routine. But I'm telling you, church family, when you pray to the Lord Jesus, he is listening. He is attentive to his children. He is not a God that is going to the bathroom or on a long journey or just, you know, unaware. He is a God that is listening, that you can have confidence when you go to your God because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is Jesus Christ who stepped down from heaven into time to rescue his people. And it's not like he just leaves us. It's not like God's plan of sending Jesus to the cross and dying for the sins of the world is to say, well, I'm going to go and die for him. But then, it, but then that's it. It's like, but some people treat God that way. And it's like, it is not it. He is there for his people. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 7. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Before we even go to him in prayer, before we even think of a prayer, he already knows what we need. He knows because he cares. And church family, if you learn anything today, I want you to really walk away here confident in prayer. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your king, if he is your Lord and he has died on that cross for your sins, not just for the world's sins, but for your sins specifically, he is a God who cares. He is a God who is listening. And it's not because of you. It's not because of your good deeds or your, you know, I, I put on a suit on Sunday, so now he's obviously has to listen to this because look at this. It's not based on anything about you. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. That's where our ultimate confidence comes from. You know, it's, so many people are like, well, I don't know if God's going to listen to me because I'm just a sinner. We're all sinners. We're in the same boat. Like, you know, the Bible's clear there's no one righteous. We're all in the same boat. It is based on our belief in the Son, that we believe that Jesus died on that cross and rose again for our sins. And the Bible says you become a child of God. And some people act like he's just not listening. And I'm telling you, he's listening. That you can be confident as you approach him. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he's talking about Jesus here. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can draw near to who God is. And like what I said, I have to say this again, it's not based on you. 
That's what I think is so many, so many struggles. So many people think, well, prayer is based on what I can do, right? Like, so like if I can just do enough good deeds this week, then God might hear my prayers. And I'm telling you, that is religion. That is not who the God of the Bible is. It's not based on what you did. We can draw near because of what Jesus has done. We can have faith in him and in him alone. And then we can watch God work. This past week, I've met with several people dealing with uh, some of these uh, mandates coming down. If you are not aware, there has been some, some different mandates within our community uh, that have affected many of your lives and many of our people within our, in our culture's lives. And it, it has been a very interesting week because I've got to meet with, with people, with individuals, with, with some of you, but with community people. And I've been able to encourage them and remind them that the God of the Bible is the God who is listening. That we can go to him in prayer. That he will listen to our prayers. And I believe we have seen God work mightily in this community this past week with a lot of different things going on. Some of you who are here have literally seen God's hand work and and work out miracles that you're actually going to be able to keep your jobs and you're going to be able to keep your livelihood and keep food on the table Because I believe his people have prayed and God has been working. And I want to just say, this is the God of the Bible. He listens. He works. And I I also get it that sometimes in life, circumstances happen that don't feel like should be happening to us. And I think that this is also a major hindrance, is that sometimes in life, things don't go our way. Sometimes in life, things fall apart. Outside of our circumstances, right? Just life happens. Death happens. Things of this world happen, right? And that can, that can hinder people. That can be like, well, I, I prayed once, and this still happened. And I'm telling you, that is, it, is, it is absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. But that doesn't mean that God isn't listening and that God isn't working. There's a story that I did, I did not even have written up there, but uh, there's a story in uh, the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, uh, I forgot they're all circumstances, but they're about to get thrown into the fire. And there's this one line in, in there. These three men had total confidence in who God was. Total confidence that God can work, God can move, God will move. But they say this one line. And this one line, I, I wish I would have had it, had it pulled up here, but they said, even if he doesn't save us, he's still God. It was like they recognized that like, we fully believe that God hears us, that God can move. But if it's outside of his will to save our lives, he's still king. And I, just, I, I want you, church, to walk in confidence in prayer. I want you to be a church that as we're waiting for a king, to be confident in your prayers. To really know that this God is listening to his children. That we can approach him in confidence. And you might be having circumstances being like, well, I don't know, and I got a lot going on, and I don't know if God can can be handling this. I'm telling you, he's the God that cares. He is listening. We don't have to just be babbling, hoping, and wishing, but we can come to him because he knows what we need before we even go to him. And I think that when Paul writes this, pray without ceasing. 
This idea that we can just constantly go to him is because Paul recognizes how good and how great our God is. That he is always there for his kids. And like what I said, and, and I'll say this every single Sunday, it's not based on you. It's truly the gospel message and the gospel itself is not based on man's good works. Many, many people in this room are, are still living with guilt and fear because they think their life and their circumstances and everything is based on how good they can become with God. I'm telling you, it's not based on any of that. It's based on faith in his son, Jesus. And I want to just challenge you. Our hope is in Christ. It's in him and in him alone. It's in nothing else. This world may fall apart, but we're going to come to him and we're going to believe and we're going to know that he is a God who is listening to his people and we're going to trust him to be working on our behalf. And if it doesn't, we're going to still continue to trust him. Say, God, if I was meant to lose my job, you will provide. Because you're a God who cares. You're a God who's listening. You're a God that I can come to every single day in all circumstances for all things and come to you and trust you. And I want us, church family, to be walking in that confidence. I want you, when you pray, I want you to really fully know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, is listening to you. Even when you don't feel like he is. You don't have to feel it to know it because it's about walking in faith and saying, God, I trust you, God, I believe you. If your word says it, I trust you. And that's, that is my challenge for us today, church family, to be men and women that go to him in confidence that we can walk and we can pray without ceasing. And I'm telling you this, when you know by faith that he is listening, you want to go to him. You don't want to avoid him. You don't want to be like, well, I, I prayed a couple days ago, maybe I might want to pray. You will desire to pray daily and seek him and know him because he is a God who is listening to his people. He hears you. I'm going to ask you to, to stand and I'm going to have the worship team come back up and they're going to lead us in one more song. And as they come, I want to pray for you, church. I want to pray that you will know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us pray. Father, Father, you listen to your children. Father, we come here today, Lord, you know our desires, you know our heart, you know all of the troubles that we face. Father, remind us today that you are a God that is listening. Lord, your word says where two or more are gathered, there you are in their midst. Father, you lead your people, you guide your people. Father, help us this week, this day, to come to you in confidence. Lord, help us to know that you are listening. Father, that you hear our hearts' cries. You see all of our burdens. You see all of our pain. Father, help us to walk in that confidence in you and in you alone. I pray this now in Jesus' name.